Hey, everybody. Hi, right, welcome back. We are Matthew chapter 2. Hopefully you've read it by now. Um, if not, feel free to pause, go back and read it. Chapter 2, it's not very long. This one isn't. Um, and we're going to talk about what we thought was interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so without further ado, let's get into it. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So I just thought it was important to mention that it says after Jesus was born. So you can see that the wise men did not show up the day Jesus was born. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's so, you know, it's a very popular thing. In the nativities and right, things like that. Right, to have the wise men there the day of. Yes. Um, but it isn't. I think it's very interesting to note um, in verses 1 through 12 that there are five, um, well, four characters, um, if you will, characters. Uh, if you'll allow me to use that term, you have the wise men, you have Herod, you have the child, and then the star. And so these four people or items kind of move through this chat through this section and have different roles and and things and like emily said they don't show up the night of they see the star probably the night of that would be my guess yeah. too. it doesn't actually state that but like in my brain right that would make sense that the star you know right began began the shining the day it was born mm-hmm. but then as you said as as it the scripture says they came from the east so that means that they had to travel yeah. So if the star, um, so yeah, the wise men—they come from the east. Um, what do we know about the wise men? Well, we don't. So I think it's also important to note that, <laughs> like, we assume there's three, but yeah. that's not necessarily the number because no. there were three gifts, but there could have been um, more. Way more mm-hmm. men. I mean, you think about it, when you read this section how um, how much they cause a ruckus. And the fact that they get an audience with the king, right? If there were just three of them, three of them aren't going to cause a ruckus in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a huge city with lots of people in it. Right. You need to have Also, the traveling. Yeah. Like, people did, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure people did travel on their own sometimes. But Mm -hmm. in the majority, I think they traveled together in big, large groups because you were safer. Yeah. You know? Um, you had more things you were able to share in food and yep. water and whatever. Um, so I think that makes sense to me too. Like right. a larger group, larger group, you're safer, more, yep. more supplies, things like that. Um, so what else? Um, I thought it was interesting. So when the wise men come and they get into Jerusalem, they say this in verse two, for we saw his star when it rose, we came to worship him. Um, that star, what I found in my studies is very likely a callback because there's no specific prophecy of a star rising, um, but it's very likely a callback to Numbers twenty four seventeen, which reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Seth. So... That is like the best reference we have to a prophetic verse of a star showing up when the Messiah is born. Um, but these these men are astrologers. They know the stars. They've been trained the stars. It's very likely that they were trained by Daniel 
right? When you read the book of Daniel. Well, right, because they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles, right? So how would they know about uh, a, Jewish a Jewish Messiah, king, right? <laughs> unless they learned from a Jew, and so right. it's very likely that Daniel started a school of astrologers and taught them some Jewish traditions. This being one of them. Well, and I think that's so cool too because there was purpose. I mean, there was other reasons why Daniel was yeah. in Babylon, but like it just shows so much more purpose because it's yep. now like domino would effect into when Jesus right. is born and, and even further past that. I just I think it's cool. Yeah, it is. Um, um, and then uh, verses, verse 5 five and 6. Well, wait, before you go okay. there, I also, what I really loved about the wise men um, is that it said in, which you just talked about a little bit, but in verse 2, they have come to worship him. Yeah. Right. So their purpose for finding the Messiah is to worship him. Right. I just think that's, um, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> it is. It is fascinating that you have these Gentiles that are now coming to worship the, the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. And I that really, like that. that really calls to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah for all. Right. Not right? just the Jewish, Not just the but Jews. also the Gentiles. Right. That's a very common thing when you read through, especially Isaiah and the Psalms, how Jesus will save the world from their sins, how Jesus will call all to him. Yeah. Right? He's not just a Jewish Messiah for the Jews. He's for everyone. Yeah. Which, again, back to yesterday, chapter 1, you have the Gentiles in Jesus' genealogy. Yeah. Right? So, um, so I'm sorry, oh, yeah, now yeah. Um, you can um, <laughs> verse 5, sorry. 5 and 6. Again, um, Matthew does this very often. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, um, and behold, you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Right? The prophet, and then the prophecy, calling back to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Um, a very common thing that Matthew does, showing that Jesus fulfills prophecy. Very awesome. I think uh, verse 11, I think it just notes again that they saw a young child, mm -hmm. right? Uh, noting again that it's not a baby. Oh, and the fact that they go into a house, right? Oh, yeah. The verse opens and they go into the right, house. Right, because Jesus was born in an inn. Right, in a manger, mm -hmm. right? That doesn't say that, and they go into the manger. Right, right. Right. So they find him in a house, um, and they offer him the three gifts um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which um, I put in my notes that that's uh, a prophecy back to Isaiah 60, verse 6. Uh, verses 13 through 15, which speaks about, again, Joseph. We're considering Joseph again. We consider Joseph a lot in chapter 1. Mm -hmm. You see him here um, hearing the word of God and then acting on it, right? Yeah, that's um, exactly what I um, yeah. noted as well, that we're seeing Joseph's obedience again. Right. Right. That is very, very much. And then another thing, verse 15, we have, this was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, right? There's the prophet and the prophecy out of Egypt, I called my son. That is a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I like this quote as I was reading through some of my study books. Um, this is from Lawrence O. Richards and his Bible Reader's Companion. 
Um, he says this about Joseph. While we know, while overall we know little about Joseph, what we learn from these verses is that he was a godly man whose character reflected God's own. Right? That's that is what we learn about Joseph in in these sex in these small snippets of his life. Yeah. Um, the next one I break up is uh, verses sixteen through eighteen. What do you have for that? Not much. So <laughs> why don't you dive right in? <laughs> yeah. So you have in this section Herod murdering the innocent children. When he does this, we can when we look at this, we can safely assert that Jesus was between the age of six months and two years old. Right, because of what Herod says, he says, "Kill all of the children who are two years old and under." So it's very likely he's within that age range. And then there's the part of Rachel weeping, right? The verses seventeen, eighteen. This was to be fulfilled by the prophet Jeremiah, and then a quote from Jeremiah thirty-one, fifteen. This, um, the tears of Rachel. In that context of Jeremiah, ref- reflects the climax of suffering for the Jewish people, followed by hope. And so here we have the climax of suffering for the Jewish mothers, the Jewish people, as Herod's killing all these children. But there's still hope because the hope that the Messiah escaped. Right? He didn't um, get succumb to this, so that you still have that. While this is a travesty, there's hope because Messiah is still alive. Yeah. That's, it is, it's, like, super sad. <laughs> right. It is super sad, but at the same time, there's there's sadness and joy at the same time. Sadness for the loss of life of these children. Joy for the fact that the Messiah made it out, escaped. Right. And still will fulfill the rest of his prophecies. I also think going back to your prophecy thing, right, it is super cool. Like, especially through chapter one and two so far, you can see he does go back to the Old Testament and you're seeing all these prophecies being fulfilled. Right. You know, and so that's really cool. And I feel like we're living in a time right now where we can also kind of see that as well. Yep. In a different way. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, all right, keep going. Um, and then just to wrap up the chapter, verses 19 through 23, um, do you have anything um, before no. I, I dive uh, into Well, that? I think I just noted again that like Joseph, you can see Joseph's obedience again. Yep. Yeah, Joseph is responsive to guidance and the guidance of the Lord. Every time he is told to do something, he immediately acts. Um, on that. Which is so good in these situations because the, it, he needed to be immediate. Right. I mean, otherwise he, they could have, you know, been caught Jesus up. could have died right. with the, which the, it wasn't in his plan, so it wasn't going right. to happen. But, <laughs> you know, you can see that it's important to be obedient straight away. Yep. So. Yep. Um, and then with the end, ending it out here, um, I, th- I thought it was very interesting. Verse 23 and he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that it was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So there's a little bit of a change here where in the other passages, when Matthew calls out the prophecy, he calls it the prophet, and then he gives the, a, an exact quote. Here he says the prophets, plural, and there is no exact quote. So what Matthew is very likely doing is he's showing that there's multiple prophets, prophecies about what it means to be called a Nazarene. There's not 
because there isn't one specific prophe prophecy about that. So one has to know in the first century Jewish context, what does it mean to be a Nazarene? And it's not a Nazarene. Um, there's two ways to look at it. There's a Nazarene from a Nazarite vow perspective, talking about the Old Testament Nazarite vow. And then there's a Nazarene um, was actually viewed in first century Jerusalem as a slang word, right? Nazarite itself, the city, was not the best city to be in. Um, and it was actually being a slang word or downcast. You're looked down upon because you're from Nazareth. We see this in John chapter 1, verse 46, when um, Nathaniel is talking. Um, he says, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? So that's that, what? A Nazarene? Why are we going to go see a Nazarene? Nothing good can come out of that city. So that's um, very much what it's, it's, I think it's referring to, that the Messiah will be treated with contempt, um, that he'll be despised, and that he'll be rejected because of his location, where he's from. We see that, you know, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Isaiah 42, all these speak about how, these are prophecies that speak about how the Messiah will be rejected and looked down upon. Very cool. Yeah, I know. I'm, I went a little nuts there. No, it was good. So, I think that wraps up chapter two. Yeah. <clears throat> Brilliant. So, we'll see you tomorrow for chapter three. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.